0: This is episode number 393 with Gary Goro. The Melissa Ambrosini Show. Welcome to The Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best selling author of Mastering Your Meat Girl and Open Wide. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thoughts from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? We have just had Leo, who's my 15-year-old bonus son, with us for a month. And when he's with us, I love fueling his body with as much nutrients as I possibly can. This is why I love Athletic Greens. Now, every morning when he walks out into the kitchen, there's a large glass of room temperature filtered water with his Athletic Greens, which is his daily all-in-one superfood powder in it. He loves it, and I love knowing that not only is he starting his day with hydration and green goodness, but that he's getting any vitamins and minerals that he may be missing in his diet. Best of all, he loves the taste, which is so awesome. And just one scoop contains 75 vitamins, minerals and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, green superfood blend and more that all work together to fill the nutritional gaps in your diet, increase your energy and focus, aid with digestion and support a healthy immune system, all without the need to take multiple products, which is perfect for anyone. Another thing I love about Athletic Greens is they continue to obsessively improve this one holistic formula based on the latest research, producing 53 iterations over the last decade. They invest in the most absorbable and natural source of each ingredient and go above and beyond in third-party testing to ensure that their customers continue to receive the highest quality and the best daily nutritional habit on the planet. And it's lifestyle friendly, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free, and contains less than one gram of sugar without compromising on taste. And right now, Athletic Greens is doubling down on supporting your immune system by offering you a free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase, which means you'll basically never have to buy vitamin D ever again. All you have to do is head to athleticgreens.com forward slash Melissa to get your free year supply of vitamin D and your five free travel packs today. How awesome is that? Gary Goro is a master Vedic meditation practitioner, a qualified Ayurvedic health coach, mindfulness expert, founder and director of Soma Byron, which is a world-class retreat sanctuary in Byron Bay. He's also a highly sought after consultant and high-performance coach. With over 15 years experience, he's earned a reputation as one of the best in the business and is respected among his peers as a teacher of teachers. Gary's worked with thousands of people from all walks of life. He's passionate about empowering people with knowledge and techniques that enable them to re-engineer their lives inside and out. He's worked with the likes of Google, Hollywood A-listers, elite sporting organizations, to everyday folks. He runs retreats, workshops, and training courses all over the world. And in today's episode, we chat about his incredible spiritual journey and how he got to where he is today, what a real guru can bring to your life, and the supreme spirituality of India, How the Vedic philosophy of consistent truth can change your life. The only goal you need in your life and why heaven is within you at every moment. Three daily practices to instantly feel more calm, present and creative. Why you need to stop planning your life and how letting go of your plans can be the key to your happiness. How to get into radical alignment with the universe and live a richer life. We also chat about whether social media is impacting our brains and our spiritual pathways. And I love his take on this. And we dive deep into how to nourish these new babies, these new souls that are coming through and raise your kids the Vedic way and all about how to raise Vedic babies. I loved this. It was so amazing. And we chatted about so much more. Everything that Gary and I mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes. And that's over at melissarambrosini.com forward slash 393. Gary has been a mentor to me. He has been a friend, a teacher, and I am so excited to have him on the show today to share his wisdom with you. So let's get this party started with the incredible Gary Goro. Gary, I am so excited to have you on the show. It's been a long time coming. But before we dive in, can you tell us what you had for breakfast this morning?
1: Well, it was unusual. I had asparagus, chevre, and scrambled eggs.
0: What's chèv?
1: Goat cheese, sorry.
0: Ah, <laughs> okay, cool, cool. Yeah, I've never heard of it called chevre.
1: Yeah, so that's the French. I used to be married to a, a French woman, and so we call it chevre.
0: I love it. You learn something every day. Well, I'm excited for everyone to learn lots about you today. But just to give a little bit of a background, you and I first met at the first ever Conscious Club, which I think was about 10 years ago. Correct me if I'm wrong. And it was hosted in Sydney. And the Conscious Club was an event that you and two of your buddies created, two other Vedic meditation teachers created. And the whole premise around it was, you know, we go to these nightclubs to become unconscious. So you guys wanted to create some sort of club where we could go and become conscious and we would meditate together and we'd share a beautiful vegan feast. And there was usually a guest speaker and maybe a performer. And it was such an incredible event that you created. I loved going. I remember the first ever one in Bondi Pavilion with, oh gosh, I don't know, maybe like 80 people and then having to move to venues that fit hundreds of people. And I loved watching the evolution of The Conscious Club. And since then, you know, you've been a mentor for myself and Nick and you're a dear friend. And I could sit and meditate and listen to your wise words all day long And Nick and I absolutely love the Vedic wisdom and philosophy, and we try and embody them as much as we possibly can. But can you kind of give us a little bit of a background? I want to know how did you become this master meditation teacher and Ayurvedic guru? How did this all unfold for you?
1: Yeah, I I think my mum. I had a mix of two parents. My dad was very much in the material realms. He was an entrepreneur and. He defied, I guess, society's conventions. So we he distilled that in his in his sons. And my mum was very spiritual in her way of thinking and approaching things. So she was very sensitive to the unseen. And so she used to read us a lot of, you know, enchanting stories like Jonathan Livingston Seagull and all these other beautiful spiritual fables. And I think that just started to seep in. And I was always that way inclined myself. I was Sort of very, very deep thinker as a kid, so much so that I think I would go too far down rabbit holes of you know what is existence and where did I come from and where do we go when we die, and all of that at the age of five or six that I just got lost, I thought I don't have these answers. so I just I got afraid to to peer any deeper into that stuff. And then, when I was probably seventeen, I felt called very, very strongly to dive back into to spiritual knowledge, and I started reading a lot of different texts and Everything I was sort of touching and exploring, just what was standing out for me is that you need to meditate. You have to have a meditation practice. And I hated meditation and, you know, I'd experienced it during different yoga classes and whatnot. And then later I realised that wasn't meditation at all. And that's why I didn't enjoy it at all. But I fortunately, when I was 21, came across my guru, Tom Knowles, and he took me under his wing and, and so began my, my training, my official training as a... As a As a teacher. And that was
0: at 21?
1: 21, yeah, which I went through a lot of suffering prior to that. I got in some trouble and was really stressed out. And that became like, you know, the wonderful impetus for me to, in earnest, pursue something that would help me really learn to balance and center myself.
0: So when most of your friends are out partying and drinking and probably experimenting, you were sitting with Tom Knowles at his feet. Soaking up his wisdom, what was that experience like?
1: In two ways, it was beautiful. It was what I'd longed for my whole life, really, to have a master, to have a guru or a teacher. I feel in in the in the East, you know, in India, there's a real tradition for one to imbibe, imbibe the knowledge and to become modelled in the, I guess, the mastery of a teacher. Whereas in the in our culture we don't really like the word guru and we don't really revere our teachers so much we all want to be rebels etc etc so I think we we suffer a lot because we have a our mainstream spirituality it doesn't have enough depth to it whereas in India they have what's known as a parampara which is a like a guru shisha parampara guru means teacher or master and then shisha means like a disciple or a student and so in that model, there's total devotion from a student to a master. You kind of give yourself over, you empty yourself and then the master pours in the wisdom. And that Paramparawins like a supreme tradition that stretches beyond the beyond. So it's very, very ancient. And when we look at all our technologies now, whether it be a laptop or a phone or even a hot water system, we just flick a switch and they're, hey, presto, so we revere traditions without revering them consciously, you know. By virtue of us having a hot shower this morning, like there were weirs that were built and there were plumbing that was done and engineering and a whole multitude of things had to happen for that, you know, event in our in our beautiful little homes. So, so to in Indian tradition, it's understood that the great sages went deep, deep within their unconsciousness and unlocked these gems. They had these supreme revelations about the nature of reality and they secured that knowledge and passed it on to generation after generation for, so they wouldn't have to spend their entire lifetime trying to unravel the mysteries. They could just learn it and live it. Beautiful. Like If you or I were, you know, set the task of, okay, try and figure out how you transmit a signal from one side of the planet to another, if that was our own sole purpose, we'd have to spend our entire life and we may not even get close. Whereas now we can do it and get on with other things. So the value of a tradition is that everything has been realized and then that can fast track your own personal realization.
0: How important do you think it is that we have these teachers and we adopt this student for life mentality?
1: For me personally, I think a guru is indispensable for life. I think there's, there are some people who are self-proclaimed gurus and I think there are some people who are on the path but not quite there yet. So there's, it's quite rare to be able to find, you know, a fully realised teacher. Um, that's, the, that's the problem. And when we have a country like ours or a culture like ours where spirituality isn't really something that's celebrated held in high regard in a culture, you're going to have less and less enlightened people in that culture. Whereas in India, there's many, many enlightened people just because it's in the DNA of, that, of, of their whole you know, society and the way they live and their whole history.
0: I know there's a lot of people that are like, no one is your guru. You are your own guru. And they do really struggle with that word. But I feel like there's always going to be people that we can look up to and learn from. And then there's always going to be people that we can teach. So you're kind of their guru, you know, whether it's children or whether it's people that aren't as further along in their journey. And if you're totally neutral about the whole thing, then that's what we're here for. We're here to teach and learn and grow. And it's this beautiful circle of life. And we don't need to get so attached to these words and the dogma around them and just instead Adopt that student for life mentality and help the people that aren't as further along, and continue to grow yourself. Well, that's what I do anyway.
1: Yeah, well, the the word guru means someone that removes your ignorance, and so in order to be a student, I think you have to humble yourself and realize, yeah, I haven't learned all there is to learn. We never will, right? You know, it's like uh, Leonardo da Vinci. It's that quest for endless learning, and that what keeps us young keeps, you know, our, our brains plastic. Otherwise, we're just like, yep, I know all there is, and then life gets dull. But we're, yeah, there's there's nuances to it, and I think if someone is you know has read a lot or has studied the peaks of different teachers, the the value of having like an intimate relationship with a guru is they know you inside and out. They know every little nuance about you. They know all your little fears and foibles, and they can help uplift that or expose that and 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 shift it so that's quite a rare relationship there aren't enough of those those who have been fortunate to fall under the grace of a teacher yeah they're very very fortunate and I yeah i had such a fortune and i guess it's my my responsibility now to to share what what i was taught and also what i have realized you know because a guru can't just teach you everything you know they they teach you foundations and the principles and awaken your consciousness so then you can figure things out independently and that's the ultimate form of a guru is someone who's made you self-sufficient
0: yes not reliant
1: yeah that's not a true guru if a guru is doing that that's not a guru that's someone who's stuck in their ego and they like to feel like powerful and all of that
0: and like you need me yeah exactly Mm, yes so there's a big difference there guys there's a big difference so You were 21. That was the time I think you were working in the fashion industry. You were also doing some directing. You've worn many hats. What was going through your mind? How was that transition for you from working in those industries to wanting to be at the feet of Tom Knowles to learning to then becoming a meditation teacher? Like, What was that transition like for you? What was going through your mind? (laughs)
1: So I guess when I first started learning to meditate, which is, I guess, what we touched on before, but I didn't complete, yeah, it was very isolating because I grew up in the surf culture where it was, life wasn't about that. It was about surfing and just being a misfit and being blind to all things, you know, you couldn't see. And it was just about getting stuff, doing stuff and chasing girls and all of that. So when I broke away, it was somewhat lonely, but then I found a new experience within myself and for a while I was just enjoying my own company and being at one with the world around me and spending a lot of time just uh, I guess like a yogi, yogi escapes society goes as far away from everything just to really unite with their inner source and so I did that for quite some time and then I swung back into the creative field and that was beautiful because I met a lot of dynamic people and when it came time for me to shift out of that It was very easy you know the first time I meditated I was given a very clear message that I'd be teaching it someday which was out of left field for me a voice literally came and during my first session and said yeah you'll be teaching this sometime soon that's weird I've never heard that voice before it was definitely not mine and then and in that moment I just felt like that was correct and I just agreed and then sure Mm -hmm. enough it was just my teacher saw it in me and And then he just started to take me under his wing and the the journey began. And then I had a fashion label at the time. It was going quite well, but I just felt it was time to walk away from it. So I, I just left it and boldly stepped into the unknown. And this was, you know, 22 years ago when it wasn't a thing to teach meditation. The word was almost something you felt shy to ever say in public so much so that my brother had learned and kept it to himself for one year. And he was living in the same house. I don't know how he managed to do that. <laughs> wow! That's, that's how much of a crime it was to be a meditator back in those days. Now it's aspirational, but it wasn't always the case. And so I look back on it and I think that was bold because I literally just gave my whole life to teaching something that really wasn't part of the vernacular of our society, nor was it something people are in pursuit of. And I'm glad I just trusted my, my intuition on that one because if I'd intellectually looked at it and got out my calculator, I thought that, that's not going to lead me to living a fruitful life or whatever it may be. And so I went with my garden, and it turned out to be just the most incredible decision I've made. It was just natural, you know. It was, very, it, was a, it was a kind of easy decision, but I look back at it and think that was very ballsy. But as I mentioned, my dad was always a risk taker and he always encouraged us to do that. Like, if you risk nothing, you risk everything. So play big, risk everything. And that's, that's kind of the way that me and my brothers have, have lived ever since.
0: When I was first exposed to Vedic meditation, it felt like a warm blanket. It felt like home. It felt like this is what I have been craving for so long. And then I would go to the Monday night group meditations and sit and listen to the teachers and their wisdom and just feel so at peace and loved soaking up the philosophy and the wisdom. I just loved it. Like I could just sit and listen to you and Tom and all of these incredible teachers for hours. So for those that have not really heard about the Vedic philosophy, what is it? Can you give us a little bit of a. Debrief on it and what drew you to it
1: Yeah, I, I just felt a natural resonance with it. It's very simple. I think when you when you hear truth you know it from a place that's not of your mind or your intellect. It just strikes you in your heart as yes, that, that is so. so the the word Veda it means knowledge, science or truth and so the understanding is that there's one truth that pervades all of reality, although different men and women and different cultures Speak it or communicate it in a different way. But there's one consistent truth that weaves its way through all religions and worldly philosophies. So it's not like there's two truths or three, four, five independent truths. It's like, what is his name? Tatwala was a great yogi of I mean, He said, God is one, although man calls him by many different names. So there's ultimately one thing. It's not like gravity is one thing in Germany and another thing in Australia. It's, it's a consistent phenomena. So the Veda is it looks at creation from the unmanifested level, like what is the source of all existence, all the way through those layers to the most manifest level of creation, what we see with our five senses. So it goes from the unmanifest to the manifest, And then it's distilled all the laws of nature which govern creation. So you can break it down in three different layers if you'd like. You could say there's the five-sense reality. There's that material, physical plane of existence where our bodies exist and where we're speaking right now. And then there's a subtler and deeper domain than that which would be, we could say it's all the energy and information. And for something to be matter, it is energy first. And encoded into that energy is the information which forms the material structures. So when we look at pervading your room and my, the space I'm in right now, there's Wi-Fi, Optus, Telstra, every radio station, yet we don't see it with our five senses. So there's this subtler stream of information. And that's where, you know, that's our process of consciousness, our, 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 our psychological sort of faculties reside within that domain. So it's that field of creativity, of ideas, of philosophy, of of knowledge. It's where subtler intelligences reside. It's where the laws of nature operate in. So it exists, but in a way that our senses aren't able to perceive in the same way we can perceive, you know, a rainbow or a tree. Nonetheless, it exists. So we have subtler faculties which can decode that layer of life, which is like our intuition, for example. And then beyond all that, there is this field of oneness. So there's one thing that gives birth to the multiplicity. So you have an unmanifest field of life, which has got lots of different names, call it whatever you like, and then it goes into this process of manifestation and then it is manifest. And this is often referred to as the threefold structure of creation. You have Rishi, Devata Chandas, or Adi Buddha, Deva, Adi Atma. There's all, all different terms and terminology. But essentially, if you want to distill what Vedic knowledge is, it's understanding these three domains, how they all interact and, and the layers within them. And so it's a very deep philosophy, but it's also very practical as you mentioned in the intro, like Ayurveda, which is one of the branches of Vedic knowledge that deals with the subtle and the gross. It looks at, you know, how disease forms in the body. It looks at how you can use different herbs and plants and other practices to fortify your body, to eliminate disease, to strengthen your system from within. So you could think of the Veda as like a big tree, the tree of knowledge. And it's got lots of different branches which connect with all the different needs of life, whether it be looking at foster deep relationships, how to awaken spiritually, how to cultivate the land to become more productive, how to clear the atmosphere of pollutants. Like it's a very, very vast philosophy.
0: Mm. And is yoga one of those branches as well?
1: Yeah, it's one of those branches. And each one of those branches have lovers little little branches.
0: Yeah. I first heard of Ayurveda in 2011 when I was studying at the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. And Deepak Chopra comes on and he's one of the lecturers and he starts talking about this thing called Ayurveda. And I was like, why have I never heard about this before? My mind was blown. And since that moment, I have been obsessed with Ayurveda. Nick and I practice a lot of the principles from things like dry body brushing and Abhyanga and the tongue scraping and Shiradara, like all of those beautiful things. We absolutely love some of the detoxing principles and the way that they eat and the three different doshas. It's just incredible. I'm obsessed with it. And I've thought so many times I want to go and study it in depth. You know, I want to just go and immerse myself in India and study it with the best teachers there. And maybe I'll do that one day, but it's so incredible. And I love that you mentioned that. And same with yoga. Again, when I first did my first ever yoga class, I felt like, wow, this is it. This is home. It just felt so good. And I've been doing prenatal yoga throughout my whole pregnancy and I just love it so much. So I want to hear What are some of your favorite Vedic principles or teachings that obviously you embody them, but what are some of your favorites that can really help the householder in their everyday life?
1: That's a very difficult question for me to answer. And the reason being that my, my training was classical, meaning you sit with a teacher and you just absorb knowledge. And it doesn't come in a specific A to Z type format. Like when you go to a school or a university, there's a curriculum and, okay, this week we're learning X, Y, and Z, and we'll develop that, et cetera. So the the way I was trained, it was very organic. You know, I guess the way the wind was blowing at that time, you know, whatever the need or the, was in me, my teacher would meet that. And so the teachings just tended to evolve and meet the need of the moment so perfectly. So when you have to kind of look at all of that and extract, okay, what are the key teachings? It's not the easiest thing to do. And I also love that because if I only learned knowledge by route, like A to to Z, that's all I'd be able to do. But I've got way more dexterity or I can move very laterally in each situation because what I'm drawing down is something which is not just formulaic. But I'll do my best to answer the question as much as I could. I guess one of the the things that's unique about the Vedic view is that knowledge is structured in consciousness, not the other way around. So often we'll go to, say, university to learn something, and we become a doctor or we get a degree of some kind. When, for example, someone could study all about chemistry, or they could become a psychologist, a marriage counsellor, etc. So that's, that's acquiring knowledge, which is very important. But what the Vedic system says supersedes that is a state of consciousness because it's said that people will think and act and live and perceive in absolute accordance with their state of consciousness. So if you have someone who is in a low state of consciousness and you're teaching them how to become a visionary or how to think positively or how to think like a Buddhist master or whatever it may be, it's going to be quite difficult for them to just have that as their default. They'll have to go through a calculating process. So in order to have supreme knowledge, it has to be birthed within your own consciousness itself. And so what I was mentioning before is that there's one truth, you know, there's one eternal truth, which all the different philosophies and religions, et cetera, have attempted to distill. These because these masters attain these very high states of consciousness, and inside of those states is all that knowledge. That's why when you look at what the Buddha said, Krishna said, what Jesus said, what other masters have said, it's the same thing just potentially a little bit more poetic here or there. But what they're really expressing is just the same truth. So it's the idea is that as your consciousness increases, as you grow in awareness and enlightenment, those truths become your reality. Whereas if someone has studied a lot of teachings, but their consciousness hasn't changed what they're doing is quoting the works of someone else. It's not being birthed from within them. So one of the most important principles is to develop and foster and cultivate a higher state of consciousness within yourself and to do that a guru can help but techniques help like a sadhana a daily practice is essential so i'd say that is more important than knowledge people will often say to me i'm single at the moment so they would say oh you know so the you know the woman that you go into a relationship with does she have to be a meditator and i'm like hell no does she have to be spiritual? I'm like, absolutely not. I said, I kind of prefer, prefer if they weren't a meditator in some ways because I just want someone who has a beautiful state of being and that, that means more than anything to me. And sometimes we'll meet people and just go, wow, look at the grace that they have, how they are as a person, how they relate to others, how they treat people, etc. and they do it purely out of just the goodness of who they are. And then you'll have someone who goes, oh, I should be more kind here. I should be more considerate. And they're having to check their processes all the time. I should kind of make the selfless choice here when all we can ever do or should be doing is behaving according to what feels natural to us. So as your consciousness becomes more and more elevated, you become more virtuous, more inclusive, more fair, more balanced. You become you know, a radiator of peace and harmony, et cetera. Whereas I'm sure we would all know of people who try really hard to to be a better person, than, you know, using lots of affirmations and reading books and all of that. But the problem is they're not doing this practice to raise their kundalini and raise their consciousness and raise their their levels of, you know, internal awareness. So Vedic principle number one would be consciousness is primary. And so one should endeavour to awaken their consciousness, make that, their first principle. And you see reference to this in the Bible. Not that I've ever read the Bible, but I've heard things over the years. And it says, first ye seek the kingdom of heaven, then all else shall be added unto thee. And it's that same principle. And what's the kingdom of heaven? The kingdom of heaven is within you. And so what is that? It means that there's a state of consciousness which is heavenly that everyone can access and experience. It's not something that you transition into after body death. It's actually a state of being that's available right here, right now, but it's just got layers of tension and stress and ignorance. So the idea is go within and touch the source of your own being and then that begins to shift and transform all these other layers of self. And then once you get different aspects of knowledge or wisdom coming in, it creates this wonderful, I guess, catalyst for New perceptions to happen and, and new thinking to happen. So we would say knowledge, the highest form of knowledge is direct experience, not just book learning knowledge. Although book learning is important, super important. So I'd say that's the, there's a couple of principles there, you know, like consciousness is primary and spiritual practice is essential. You can't really bypass that. And, you know, heaven is within you.
0: Mm, I love that you mentioned the daily practice so what does that look like for you or what kind of guidance could you give someone who is like I don't have a daily practice and I don't really know where to start
1: yeah and I think it you know people start and then the practice evolves so I began just by sitting for 20 minutes twice a day and that that was super powerful and transformative for me like that was just game-changing and I think my teacher regarded me as ripe fruit so, you know, when fruit's really ripe, it just, you touch it and it falls into your hand. <clears throat> Whereas some, you've got to really tug on and pull to get it off the vine. So I think I was really ready and I had a huge transformation just from that alone. But I still do 20 minutes. Uh, I do a bit longer, but I meditate twice every day. Yoga asana can become part of the practice. Pranayama or breath work, as it's more you know popularly referred to these days. And then... Ayurvedic principles, doing those to keep my body strong and healthy and vital and clean and whatnot. And then just cultivating your awareness moment to moment, noticing where, where your mind is at, where your body's at, where your consciousness is at, where's your awareness. So it just opens up and develops over time. And then there's other advanced techniques as well, like rounding and different mantras and chants and lots of different stuff and pujas and all sorts of things that happen. But I think the most important thing is just meditate each and every day. And also a physical practice is really important, some yoga practice or or movement practice, something that really helps your body move out of the the channels it gets stuck on. And even there's some people who are critical of yoga and I hear it because it's like on a mat you know, and life's not on a mat. So when you look at what Edo Portal does, for example, very dynamic and he blends in so many different practices. So I think it becomes more fluid and dynamic and more free-flowing and feminine in that way. But the way that we tend to live is we sit at desks, we sit at chairs, we sit in cars. So it's very just, you know, the movement is very, very limited. So I like to surf and I like to just be spontaneous and listen to my body. But I think a place people can start is just develop a a meditation practice, develop a a yoga and movement practice and then just start paying attention in all the in-between states because you don't want your practice to be something you just do when you sit and you're formally doing something for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, now, whatever it is. That leaves a lot of time where we're asleep at the wheel. So those practices are designed to create more consciousness a more wakeful presence in you so then you can be aware of your own patterns your own thought processes other people what's going on in the world around you etc so these practices are just designed to m- create more wakefulness
0: mm. and yeah it, you kind of spoke a little bit about it before that embodiment and it's so good to get all this wisdom and knowledge but really embody it and yeah, you can sit for 20 minutes twice a day. And then if you go out and then you're stressed and you're not present and you're rushing around, it's like you're not embodying that feeling that in your eyes open state, as you guys say. So that's definitely something I'm aware of. I think for me, I've been meditating for so long, Gary, not as long as you, but I've been doing Vedic meditation for like 8 years and right now in my life, I'm pregnant. I've got a couple of months left to go. And I feel like I'm in my head a lot. I'm so excited to meet her. I'm just like thinking about all the things like I've got to do in an excited way. And I'm so excited that I have to constantly catch myself and go, just be here, Melissa. Come back here. Don't miss the magic of being pregnant and enjoying this. But I'm so excited. And I know so many people can relate to this. So what can we do in that situation?
1: Yeah, I think like it's, it's a beautiful thing to be pregnant and it's a beautiful thing to be excited. But when we also start to shine a magnifying glass over the whole thing, it, what we're excited about is our mind stuff, is a projection. And there's some certain chemistry in anticipation and the chemistry of anticipation is typically far stronger than the real thing. So people get addicted to anticipating and projecting themselves into future scenarios. And when the real thing dawns, chemically it's inferior. So they start to get into this mode of okay, I'm sort of at the party now. I was so excited to be at the party, but <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of bored. let's see what else is going on. Let's see maybe there's another party going on or what are other people doing? Let's check online or you know, so the mind gets conditioned to project itself away from the moment. And so that dichotomy you sense which is well, I'm being a mother and this is beautiful and your mind goes into the scenario of what it could look like, all the shapes and colours and what can unfold and what your baby's going to look like and all of that stuff. What it does rob you is of this sacred time where this child's inside you and you can develop that real deep intimacy with this moment. So Satish Kumar, he was someone I interviewed once and he said something beautiful. He's like, we need to think in correct proportion. So we want to be about 70% in the present, 10% in the past and 20% in the future. Whereas I think for most people, it's probably 70 in the future and, you know, 30, 28% in the past and 2% here. And obviously, the I guess the catchphrase of the spiritual knowledge for the last few decades has been be here now and the power of now and all of that. And so the moment is, is what we want. The moment is beautiful. And then we just have to keep coming back to, to that. But I think it's important to be able to, to plan and to create and to be visionary but Vedic philosophy would say that that's all illusory and what you know we as human beings we can cast a shadow on things and we can also create illusions within ourselves and ultimately one of the things you learn as a parent is just to surrender to the flow of things And so if we had to choose, am I creating my life with my mind or am I becoming super receptive to what life's doing and learning to merge with that, most people are doing the former, but the latter is is far more sacred because, as you mentioned, we can live our life just through our thinking, through our thinking minds, but that cuts us off from the experience of it. Like as an example, you know, it's a fairly graphic one, but say two people are in the act of lovemaking. One person could be thinking, is she enjoying this? Is he enjoying this? Oh, my God, or whatever. And it cuts them off from experiencing the joy of that, that, that union. Or it could be someone's at a music concert, and I experienced this myself. I was critiquing the light show, and I was like, caught my mind doing that. I'm like, just enjoy the music, you idiot. Mm. And then I tuned <laughs> yeah. into the frequency of the sound. I was like, oh, it's so amazing. So the mind can create separation and in the Vedic texts, I've heard the, seen the mind um, re- defined as the thief, the great thief, and it's what it does. It robs us of the joy of the moment and it robs us of connection and it burdens us with, with worry and turmoil and all of that, that past or future. That's where the mind operates. So so much of the Vedic philosophy is learning to understand the mind, how it's structured and learning to rehabilitate it, to culture it in a particular way where it gives you a heavenly state. because when we look at why people suffer, it's because of their minds alone. You could say all human suffering is born of the mind. And then there are those who manage to rise above situations which you could be forgiven for suffering in them, in, in them whether it would be war-torn situations or famine or even you know the Holocaust, whatever it may be. But we know some people in those situations have found heaven. And somehow they've managed to structure their minds and their thinking in a particular way that the grace of, you know, the moment, the divine God, whatever you want to call it, was felt and experienced directly and it was unconditional. Because what human beings, we put conditions on everything. Be happy here or when this thing happens, that'll be great and this isn't good and we accept or reject. And at some point we have to realise that is what's bringing us undone. And so Vedic philosophy honours that there's a physical material world that has needs, the body has needs and all of that, the world has needs, but then there's a part of us which is beyond those needs and that's the the most sacred part of our existence, our our spirit or our inner being. And so as a human being, it's learning to integrate that which is beyond to, to that which is here. And as people start to explore spiritual philosophy more, you'll see even within that world, there's a lot of confusion. Some people say you've got to renounce the world. It's an illusion. doesn't mean anything. It's not what life's about. Just disregard it or practice dispassion. And the world starts to not be so glorious if we start ignoring our children and our jobs and our health and all of that. So that's a poor philosophy. This more supreme philosophy is the world's beautiful. We come here to play in it. It's divinely made. It's here to be enjoyed, but it's not here to be completely attached to. We have to have a degree of detachment or non-attachment. And even with our kids, as you become a mum, you'll start to realise as it goes on, you're the custodian, you're the, the carer or the mother of the child, but you don't own the child, has its own knowledge, its own wisdom, its own soul, its own calling. And as a parent, you have to learn that uh, it's about supporting my child and it's unfolding, helping it connect with its own wisdom and that might not always agree with my own. So we learn to get out of the way a lot. And I think that's the beauty. If you have a spiritual practice, you get more in touch with the flow of life and the flow of life through you. And then you learn to honour it doesn't flow the same in another person but honour the flow of life in them and how it's choosing to express itself through them. And then there's less and less conflict when, when we have a philosophy like that which is so integrated and whole, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, and a lot more peaceful.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we don't want to fight. So the practice I think people should have is just pay attention if this thing is divinely made, this body, mind, nervous system and our consciousness, when we get out of alignment with that that middle world, we were talking about that subtle realm, which is that world of information and natural law and stuff, when we get out of alignment with that, our body tells us and our consciousness starts giving us signals. So the, one of the things I really encourage people to do is become acutely aware of when you become uncomfortable in your own skin, when you feel a degree of, dissatisfaction suffering awkwardness etc because your mind's fallen out of alignment and your behavior's fallen out of alignment with the natural flow of life with the natural order with the way of things with the veda if you want to think about it like that it's like in the in the jedis you know the force
0: and then if we are aware of that how do we then get back in alignment is it through the meditation
1: yeah that- you know, what we do is we learn to pay attention more and more and more to that moment sooner and sooner and sooner so you can catch yourself where you realise, oh, I've fallen out of alignment here. Whereas someone might come and see me or you or whatever and say, oh, man, my life's a mess. And it's because they've been out of alignment for so long they don't even know how to sort of get back home again. Whereas if you just start this practice of correcting the course moment to moment, None of that arises. So it depends how far gone someone is. But if you're cultivating pure moment consciousness, as you move out of alignment, you'll be able to detect it and just bring yourself back. It could be something that you said was out of, out of line or a way you reacted to something or something that you did, maybe something you ate or some work you're pursuing that's no longer purposeful or meaningful for or a good fit for you. So we just really have to practice deep listening and paying attention to that internal wisdom. And a spiritual practice helps clear the mind. It's like muddy water, you know. It it makes that muddy water clear so we can see, we can perceive rightly again. The spiritual practices are for that, for clarifying and and vivifying.
0: Mm. And for anyone listening who may realize that they are very much in their head living in the future and living in the past and only spending that two percent maybe in the present moment the awareness that that is unfolding is the first step and then using those practices to come back in alignment i think is is really beautiful and such a powerful thing that we can all do you know i catch myself out of alignment and i'm like (laughs) i just i laugh now I just have a little laugh at myself. I'm like, oh, I just, what I just said was just totally out of alignment. What I just did or how I just reacted. But we've spoken about this before on our mentoring calls. In the past, have this tendency to then beat myself up for
1: that. And so, add in self-injury.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So doing that is out of alignment.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But we've become so accustomed to it that we feel like I deserve punishment because I did something wrong. So how about I beat myself up? Okay, I'm satisfied now. I've made myself suffer more. I guess I can start the road back again. (laughs) So the idea is human beings shouldn't suffer. We're not here to suffer. It's not fair for us to do that to ourselves or to add to that in any way. We're here to move beyond suffering, which if we look at suffering, it's malalignment or where we're out of flow with things which we were just describing. Because they suffering we're like oh I'm so miserable I'm depressed I'm crying and all of that or it can be I'm just not feeling like I'm in heaven right now there's just degrees of suffering so we'd say if you're not experiencing that heavenly experience there's suffering that's a form of suffering yes and although well, I'm not buddhist but Bu- buddha's view was to you know eliminate all suffering and that's the idea of of knowledge because knowledge is generally mind based and we can untie the knot of the mind so we can stop torturing ourselves or beating ourselves up or thinking about things the wrong way. In many ways, we do it. You know, that's what we call the Pragya parada. You know, we talked about that, the mistaken intellect, the way something can be incorrectly perceived or our thinking can be off a little bit and just being off a little bit can make us suffer dramatically. Like if we think that death is the end, if someone we cherish and love dies, then we'll be miserable. But if we have another view that death's not the end, it's just a transition from this physical realm to another realm, we realise that that soul or that consciousness continues to experience reality just in a different costume and in a different way. And then it means that we're not suffering in the same way we were before. We're suffering because we miss the person, but we realise it's my suffering and not theirs. So healing can happen when our thinking shifts. And that's why gurus are needed because we can't see our own eyes and we can't see our own thoughts generally. And we can't see where we're getting stuck. So every then one needs mentors and teachers. And like you were saying, everything is that, you know, we can get taught through friends, people that piss us off a lot. They're great teachers, you know, (laughs) having empty pockets can be a really good teacher and all sorts of suffering and discomfort. That's, that's the best teacher that we're likely to find. So we pay attention to our own discomfort and look at ourselves and go, what's causing that in me? How do I untie that, that knot, that tendency, that psychological trait that's making me feel, feel this way? But we have to know that's what it is, It's not the other person. <laughs> they might be contributing. You know, Someone might just be an abuser and they're just not a good person to be around, but most situations aren't as dramatic as that. It's just more our own thinking structure, our mental position, if you want to think of it like that. And the beautiful thing about you know, that subtle realm of our minds is it's it can move. It's not fixed like the body. I can't ever be six foot six tall. Just kind of said it's done its thing. But our minds can move so much. Our mental positions can shift, but people get lazy and they get set in their ways. And neurologically, we, you know the, the river flows down through those canals. The same brain patterns and neural architecture remains and we don't challenge it. So whenever we feel uncomfortable, that's like, ah, oh, time to shift because I'm being challenged. I'm being awoken right now. Going to be creative about how we approach life. Endless learning and endless sort of growth and endless kind of movement into challenging our own fears and assumptions.
0: It's a journey, that's for sure.
1: Yeah. And the other thing I really cherish about the Vedic teachings is that, like, there is a force that is governing all of life, all of creation, everything. And, you know, we can think that we're in charge and we control all things, or you can realize that we're a wave in the ocean. And that there's something that's helping to coordinate and guide us in this existence. And it's really learning to get in touch with that. And I find that's how I operate in the physical world, you know, and that, on the human level of life is some time ago I, I just surrendered and just said, okay, there's something far greater than my little intellect doing all of this. So I'm just going to listen more and follow my cues. Whatever life tells me to do, I'm just going to do that. And it's and it's and it's worked, surprisingly. I haven't had to like think my way through life. I've just had to pay attention and listen to what my, my cues were and what life was guiding me and wanting to do. And then, you know, I look around and think, how did this soma thing happen? You know, this 22 acre sanctuary with, you know, how did this come into being? And all I've been doing is just listening each step of the way and it just forms. Absolutely.
0: Being in that flow is so much juicier. It's so much nicer than that resistance, that constant resistance, like feels like you're knocking against a brick wall. But when you are in that flow, whether, you know, in your business and in your personal life, yeah, you just go, how did I move states and create this beautiful retreat space? Like what? Like, yeah, it's amazing. So I feel, I feel like that too. I feel like that's how I live my life and that's how I run my business. Everything is done on that feeling. I don't do you know anything if if there is that feeling within me, I just I just don't do it anymore because I know, I know that it's not going to flow. It's not going to be as joyful. So, I love that. Is there any other principles or traditions or anything else like that that you really love and want to share?
1: I guess the the most important one is just that concept of self realization and that we are, as we mentioned before, like a wave that exists in an ocean of consciousness. And the wave is inseparable from the ocean. So Vedic philosophy is very much the heart of it is learning to experience and merge with your own innate self beyond your human self, because we tend to mistake ourselves for something we're not. And this is something we'll need to unpack just a little bit. But we tend to identify with our physical form, with our name, with our gender, with our size, shape, colour, race, et cetera, et cetera. And we, we essentially get born in, into these bodies, which are our parents' making. You know, So all their genes, their DNA, and all of our ancestors who created them, you know, these bodies form, but it's a spirit that dwells within that physical form. And one of my friends was asking me once, like, well, how important is like someone's DNA? And I said, well, have you ever seen identical twins, same parents, same womb, look identical, but their personalities are different? How is that so? And it doesn't factor in this concept of the soul. And so souls are born into bodies, move through bodies on this planet. And that's a tremendous gift. But what we're really here to do is rise above identification with our human form and merge with that vaster reality, which is our own being, which is connected to all beings. And then it's one ultimate being. So when we look at what, you know, Vedic, uh, the, the Vedic system cherishes most, it's that communion, that state of oneness, of connectedness. And our culture has become more and more infatuated with the material forms. You know, I think we were, the evolution I've noticed is our society once wanted jobs, security, money, house, car, status, all of that stuff. And it seems that at least what I'm noticing is that there's now a shift. People want to feel loved, connected, state of belonging. They want to feel important. They want to be liked. So this whole social media thing its just has taken over our society almost. People are just caught in this thing of seeking validation and place through a technology, and it's a game. People are playing this game with themselves. You know, I feel loved today because I got liked or comments or more followers or whatever it may be. And so eventually I feel that is going to transition to realising, okay, that's kind of unsatisfying. What I really want is connection with my own heart with my own being, with that pool of love and joy and that feeling of being special beyond conditions and reasons that are external. So it's the heaven thing, you know, comes back to that. So I feel that's really what we should be pursuing. Get that first and then you have the followers, so be it. If you don't, so be it. You know, if you have this car or that thing, so be it, doesn't matter. What matters more is how you feel in your own heart and whether you feel like your life has a purposeful flow to it. That's what I think is more important. Someone asked me the other day because this, this sanctuary I've got here, it's worth a crazy amount of money now. Someone said, if someone offered you this figure, would you take it? And it was a very, very large figure. And I, and I said, no, I wouldn't because it doesn't mean anything. Money doesn't mean anything that you're living you know, the life you're intended to be living and it's purposeful, that's that's the most important thing. So I feel there's a change in values in our society. It's becoming more subtly oriented. It's not just, oh, I need this thing. It's material stuff. It's, I need a feeling. So people are looking for a feeling now through social media and stuff. And then we'll realise that the most authentic the- feeling, I don't get there. I get a flash of it. And so we get that through these practices. And that's why these ancient arts are so important because they're getting us closer and closer and more deeply in touch with the non-changing bliss and fulfillment that's there within us.
0: Another thing I feel social media has led us to do is become, like everything you've already shared, but become infatuated with other people's lives. And that just wasn't the case, you know, like when our parents were growing up, that just was not the case. And so, yeah, it's like that keeping up with the, the Joneses and, and peering over everyone's fences. Like we would only have like two fences to peer over on our left and our right and maybe behind us. That's what our parents went through. But now we've got like thousands of people, however many we follow, we're constantly peering over their fence. And we have have become obsessed and infatuated with how other people live and looking into other people's lives and things like that. And I feel like that has become quite detrimental to our own sanity, to our own health, to our own happiness and stopping us from being in the moment.
1: Absolutely. And I feel the other side of that is those people who are not peering over fences, but on that side of the fence, they're creating this illusory story. What's the narrative of my life? And it's just a highlights reel. And you know, a friend of mine. She, there was a, a restaurant here in Byron but I'm not going to name it, but she said everyone goes there basically just to get selfies. They like, oh, are at this fancy place, and I think that's that's kind of where our society's you know gotten to. Is can I just create this story that impresses other people? Meanwhile, the reality for me ain't that, and that's kind of that's an interesting little little evolution, and, and it's an nascent thing. Like this is very very new for us. It's been you know a decade or so, and. So, you know, it's interesting for us to watch it. It's almost like smoking when society just started taking up that strange act, you know, it was enormously popular and so we're in one of these and we'll, we'll transition through it and then something else will take its place. And maybe we might get to the point one day where people just love each other unconditionally and, you know, everyone's in touch with their own source. That would be a pretty cool society.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love that vision. Recently, my team and I were looking for a designer to create some new Instagram story and feed animations for this show. Because my usual designer is on maternity leave, that meant we had to look somewhere else. Then we came across Design Crowd, and I have to say, we were so impressed. Basically, design Crowd is a website with hundreds of thousands of designers ready to help you create your perfect custom design. Whether that's a logo, website, book cover, or social media ad campaign, a quality design can make a huge difference to your overall engagement and success in a competitive market. There are over 900,000 super talented designers from around the world ready to submit creative ideas, ensuring you get the perfect custom design every single time. Now, within hours of posting your job brief online, you'll receive your first design. And over the course of two to seven days, a typical project will receive 60 to 100 plus different designs. You then simply pick the best design and approve payment to the designer. That's it. How easy is that? Check out designcrowd.com forward slash Melissa. That's D-E-S-I-G-N-C-R-O-U-D.com forward slash Melissa to receive up to $150 off and keep an eye out on my Instagram over the coming weeks to see what we created with Design Crowd. And you have two gorgeous children. How are you sharing, you know, everything you know with them and how are you being a guide or a teacher for them? And in this digital social media age, like how do you parent with this Vedic philosophy?
1: So, I guess my main thing is I try to just embody you know, and you don't know who you are, you know you're just you're yourself, so I'm hoping that kids see or feel something around me, and they start to benefit from that and they they certainly do they're they're very they're unique little kids, they're beautiful kids, and so there's that level, but then you know, I've taught them both to meditate, and I don't push them into it, but they see mum doing it, they see me doing it, and they know Dad does this, you know he's works in that field. So I don't tend to formally educate them, but I do sometimes say, all right, guys, philosophy time. And I'll say, "Roy, we're going to learn about some Ayurvedic principles today, or we're going to learn about better ways of communicating, and we're going to learn about the subtle body, and we're going to learn about emotions, and we're going to learn about morphing into other people's perspectives. And so I kind of will do that and sometimes I'll do targeted stuff like if my daughter's just feeling a little bit emotional or something or something happened at school, we just explore it and help her try to understand like the, the dynamics of that. But for the main part, I don't really have to do much, to be just honest. Just embody. You're there, there. I have to work a little bit harder with my son. His, his uh, nature is a bit different and I can see his karma is, is, is different to my daughter's. Have very very different personalities, boy and girl they're always going to be different, but even even so, like my daughter's she's she's a little powerhouse, completely self motivated and driven, and she's a little creator and she 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 doesn't need me to be honest, she just needs Dad to give her cuddles and and know she's loved, and my kids you know they they we cuddle and kiss each other about a million times a day, so they do have a foundation of love and so I've endeavored just to really give them that and know that you know, I'm here and their mum's also very wise. So they've got two solid reference points that they can connect with whenever they need it.
0: But ultimately
1: I'm trying to make my kids self-sufficient. I'm trying to make it so they don't need me.
0: That's beautiful. That's really beautiful. I'd love to hear what is your definition of success? Society has this definition that is kind of thrust upon us, but what's your definition of success? And what do you attribute your quote unquote success to? Because someone will might look at you and go, wow, like successful meditation teacher, Ayurvedic guru, you've created Soma, the most stunning retreat I've ever seen. You know, what is your definition of success and what do you attribute it to?
1: All right. So my definition of success, it has evolved over time. And it used to be the material one, like stuff and numbers and all of that. My idea of success now is freedom, inner and outer freedom. I know a lot of people who have a lot of money, but they have no time. And for me, that's not success. I feel success is when you feel connected to source, when you feel that connectedness to creation, to reality, to life, and you feel that flowing through you. And success is when that's gaining expression in the world, and for me, I know that it's big part of why I'm here is to teach and to do what I'm doing, and I feel like that's, you know, that's an enormous privilege and a gift, and you know, I, I um, you know, just have so much gratefulness around the fact that I got chosen to do play this role on the planet. Like, wow! So for me, it's just learning to play your role, um, accepting your role, and I think the how I've gotten to do that is. I just paid attention along the way to what felt right. That's all I did. This feels right. I'll do that. This doesn't feel right. I'm not going to do that. And something can feel right. And then it stops feeling right. Like Conscious Club was so successful because it was just life said, we want this to happen. And me and my buddy just went, all right, let's do it. And it was, you know, it blew up. And then after a while, it didn't feel like we could do it anymore. It's like a transition needed to happen. And so it's learning when to let go and it's learning when to pursue and that requires I believe just you know a sensitivity and a receptivity so I think I just at all times I cultivate that receptivity because I feel like there's this beautiful quote from Nietzsche and Nietzsche and he says we live under the assumption that we think when it's more likely that we're being thought Mm. so that's my approach to life essentially just realize okay I didn't create this Gary Goro with this intellect didn't create the world as we know it. Something created me. Something brought me here and gave birth to me. And so that same thing that created me will guide me. And so I've just trusted that. And the way that, you know, that is through your intuition. And I feel I've got like super acute intuition. And it wasn't always like that at all, like far from it. But I just kept cultivating more and more and more. And I even asked the same question of one of my clients. He's, he's worth, a, you know, a stack of money couple hundred million. And I said, um, how did you amass this, this sort of wealth? How did you get to where you are? And he said, I'm not qualified to do what I'm doing. But he said, all I've done is just what has felt right. And I think you find that's a consistent thing with people that have gotten to these places that we admire. What, what it comes down to is a lot of the time they just pursued what felt right for them, what called them.
0: They followed the charm.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they follow the charm. Their fine level of feeling, their intuition is, you know, it's our greatest guide. But when we're stressed and disconnected and we're all in our heads, like that, we fail to feel that anymore or we don't have that same connection. So I think our intuition is a huge part of it. Grace is another part. You know, I've had a, a, quite a lot of moments of grace, you know, and your, your karma plays a big role and your mindset plays a huge role and it's learning to... You know, get these all coordinated. You know, our minds for many, many years. I had to like correct my own poisonous sort of mind patterns, my limited beliefs and ideas, and just how I was just sabotaging things or limiting the flow of things. So I had to work really, really hard for quite some time, like shifting all of that. And then once you know that work's done, then you know it's done, and then life can flow without obstruction. So we have to, yeah. There's a there's a little 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 bit to do. You know, just listen, listen and and seek.
0: Yes. What's one thing that you're working on within yourself at the moment?
1: It's interesting, like so got rented out by nine perfect strangers, that that Nicole Kidman film, and so I had this vision of starting the year, you know in this that's all done and then going into the flow of retreats. but um it's not been that way at all. I've been called into like they'd left the property, you know, with some work to to do to rehabilitate it and so, I think right at the moment, I'm just again learning surrender because I had this idea. I want my life to be this, or I kind of this is my vision for how I had thought the year would start and how things had and It's been like the total opposite. So, I'm, I'm practicing <laughs> surrender. And I was getting, if I'm honest, I was feeling like a little bit like, ah, oh, this is not what I want. I don't want to be doing this, but I had to totally check myself and go, Gaz, you know better, you idiot. Stop fighting, stop resisting surrender and then I embraced the mess and then it was really fun and playful and I've been enjoying it so I'm having a very very slow and sort of like a someone driving a, a, a manual car on their L's for the first time I'm bunny hopping sort of quite a lot and it's just the way it is you know I've got a beautiful retreat sanctuary ready to go but I can just feel the energy at the moment is like no we're not in full flow we're in prep mode so um, I haven't launched into 2021 so I'm just interacting with the moment and I work with the GWS Giants the AFL football team so I'm in my fourth year with them and we're doing a big pre-season mindset camp that I'm sort of having to lead and so I'm starting to move into that space and, and they're coming into my awareness now that I'm starting to get So I'm back online again so I'm just riding the moment just surfing through through each moment
0: beautiful and
1: yeah I don't tend to project too much And plan too much. I I prefer just to listen and go. Okay, what's what do you want? What do you want from me? I'm here. I'll do it.
0: This is the first year for me in a very like in most of my life where I don't have all these goals that I want to achieve because I'm giving birth. You know, my intention is to be a mama, and so that's been really different for me starting 2021 and not having this long list of all of these goals I want to hit this year and what I want to launch and what I want to create. And, you know, some people have said to me, you know, what are your goals? And I'm like, to be a mom, to be the the best mama that I can be. And, you know, that's just really important to me. So I'm completely surrendering to the year as well. And whatever unfolds will unfold. And I'm excited to see what unfolds.
1: Yeah. And see what goals want you.
0: Exactly. Exactly.
1: Because what comes first, right, the chicken or the egg? We go, oh, I want to do this thing. Or is it life that's planted that seed in us? Or are we in telling life? It's one of those interesting um, philosophical conundrums. Yeah, exactly. The desire (laughs) or the thing, you know, was it from source or did we inform source? And if we have to tell source what to do, how intelligent is that source? You know, how omnipotent and how omnipresent is it? Yeah. So uh, I think it's you're just correcting the assumption that you think but now you realise I'm being thought, I'm being lived, I'm just going to let this thing live, live through me. Beautiful. And that's great.
0: Yeah, it's exciting. Different for me, exciting.
1: Yeah, I look forward to see how, how, how it is for you.
0: Yeah, yep.
1: This new, this new paradigm of, of, of living and operating. Yes, yep. Because I think the other way can be exhausting, can it not? <laughs>
0: Yes. Very much so. Very much so. Exhausting.
1: Yeah. And maybe we have to battle and work harder for something that doesn't necessarily want to come into being. We have power. We can make things come into being, but do less, accomplish more is the Vedic motto.
0: I love that. I'm going to tattoo do less that. Accomplish
1: more. Yeah. Do least, <laughs> accomplish most. Do nothing, accomplish everything. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> and that nothing is when you've merged with the no thingness and then it can just Express itself through you, express itself through your individuality.
0: Mm, Beautiful. Now, let's pretend that you have a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every single high school around the world. What is the one book that you would choose?
1: Wow, that's a toughie. That's very tough.
0: I know, I know.
1: (laughs) Well, It depends. If it was for primary kids, I'd do autobiography of a yogi. If it was for, you know, high school kids, sort of 10 to 12, I would do the Bhagavad Gita.
0: So good. And then what about that, that older, you know, the, the 16, 17, maybe 18-year-old?
1: Yeah, that would be uh, maybe something like the, the untethered soul. Mm.
0: Such great books. I'll link to all three of those in the show notes. I love those three books. They're brilliant. So thank you for sharing. I am fascinated with people's morning routines and how they prime themselves for the day. Can you kind of talk us through a typical day in your life, your rituals? I know no two days are ever the same, but just some of the practices and rituals that you do that really support you.
1: So waking early with or before the sun, waking up and scraping the tongue, getting all the armor, all the toxins off, brushing teeth and having a big glass of warm water with potentially lemon or lime in it and potentially ginger and honey. And then Abhyanga, which is the self-massage, do that. And whilst that's being absorbed into my skin, I would potentially do some salute to the sun, some yoga. And then dive into a meditation practice and then come out and have brekkie and then launch into my day and have a surf. Yeah. And then just play, just try. Like, one thing that's really important for me is friends, you know? So I've got a lot of people I love. So I just check in on a lot of people and hang out. And, you know, I'm also a loner, but I also cherish friendships. So I try to cultivate them each and, each and every day somehow, whether it be a phone call, a text, or meeting up with people. And, And also just merging with my land, you know, this, this, this Soma here, the land is very much alive. There's a lot of, a lot to be learned here and and a lot to be sort of tended to. So that's my routine.
0: I love it. So beautiful. Now I have three rapid fire questions for you. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. What is one thing that we can do today for our health? Just one thing that we could all try today.
1: Would be, I suppose you want a rapid fire answer. Um, It's not one thing. I'd say scrape the tongue in the morning, have a glass of warm water and Younger if you can. But, yeah, that's super easy. Scrape the tongue and drink, you know, one or two big glasses of water, warm warm water.
0: I have um, Nick has given me Abiyanga rules. I'm not allowed because you've been to our house and there's all the natural timber and all the natural materials everywhere and same with Soma. So I have to go downstairs in the garage to do Younger. <laughs>
1: You just lay a big towel out and don't do your feet.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: Don't do the soles of your feet.
0: Yeah. And even like if I come upstairs to work and I've got it on my elbows and then I lean my elbows on the timber desk, he's like, babe. (laughs) So like I need like to abbey younger myself and then like put a suit around me for a while or like, yeah, come up with some sort of solution so I'm not oiling the whole house.
1: I know it's intense. <laughs> you you get better and better at you know not spilling a drop and you know getting that soot on anything.
0: Yeah, but it feels so good. Yeah, the
1: benefits are magnificent. You know, oh it's gosh. one of the most important he- health regimes for a human being, and and all of probably ninety nine percent of listeners are like Abby, what? What the hell are they talking about? I'll be It's a self self massage. So you get medicated oil or just general like black sesame oil is a, a good one for all the doshas, and you apply that warmed oil to your body takes about, you know, five, 10 minutes and you let it absorb into your skin. It keeps the skin youthful. It nourishes the organs of the body. The epidermis, the skin has a direct relationship with the nervous system. So it's very calming and relaxing and it's a fantastic therapy.
0: Oh, it's amazing. I use organic sesame oil and I find it really great in winter because I can just put on tracksuit pants and like a hoodie and let the oil absorb in, but in summer right now, which we're experiencing, I just can't do that. And especially being pregnant, I'm just, I feel like I'm a hundred degrees Celsius. It's just so hot. So, um, and you would
1: I'm, use a cooling oil. You would use like a coconut oil.
0: Yes, yes.
1: Cooling oil, yeah. And yeah. you would generally leave it on the skin for like 30 minutes, yeah. generally no longer than that because it absorbs toxins out and so you want to wash those off in the shower.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Beautiful. Okay, next one. What is one thing that we can do for more wealth in our life? So more abundance in all areas of our life.
1: Yeah, learn to correct your think thinking. Learn to let go of all your own obstructing beliefs and ideas around the flow of abundance.
0: Beautiful. And last one, what is one thing that we can do for more love in our life?
1: Stop judging oneself and others, and being critical, learning to drop into your heart.
0: That's a goodie.
1: Heart's the seed of love. Just notice when you come out of there.
0: Absolutely. Gary, I could literally talk to you for 100 hours. (laughs) Is there anything else that you want to share, any last parting words of wisdom or anything that you wanted to talk about that I didn't
1: ask you? Well, I would love to one day talk about, raising kids, the Vedic sort of philosophy to, to raising children, to nurturing, um, you know, new souls. What I want to, what, anything, not really, not really.
0: Well, maybe we can get you back on to do a whole episode on raising kids the Vedic way. Yeah. I would love to do that. So I feel like this could be part one and part two, we, we get you back on and we do that.
1: Yeah, that'd be great. Because I say I don't do anything with my kids, but there's a lot of subtle stuff that's done that means you don't have to do anything. So, yeah, there's a real art to to raising kids and there's an art to living, there's an art to everything. So, I so say the last thing I would say is just realizing that, you know, you, we're all artists and our masterpiece is our life. So, just pay more attention to what our lives look like and, and what in our heart of hearts we aspire our, our lives to become. So, I think it's just Moving into more of our, our power of as, as creators, as artists, and enjoying the, the art of living and the style of living.
0: Beautiful. Now, everything that you do, all of the teaching, the meditations, the retreats, the rounding, everything, you help and support and you serve so many people. So I want to know what I personally can do and what the listeners can do to serve and give back to you. How can we give back to you today?
1: Uh, they can come to Soma sometime, come and visit this place and, and do a retreat here. That would be a beautiful thing. And this is just going to keep evolving over time. You know, this is my little magnus opus and we're just really in the, in the first chapter of it. Mm. So I It love, love would be part of this journey somehow.
0: It is so beautiful. And I'll link to the website and the Instagram in the show notes. So go and have a look at this beautiful retreat. I will be doing a retreat there one day with Gary and I want to go and attend one myself. And I just had an idea. I feel like you could do one for mums and babies one day. That'd be a really good idea so that I could bring my babe along.
1: (laughs) Yeah, totally. Let's do it.
0: But thank you, Gary, not only for... All the work that you do in the world, but for being mine and Nick's, one of mine and Nick's mentors and guides and a dear friend and for always being there and for showing up the way that you do, you know, every day, the way that you show up, the way that you support people, the way that you hold space, the way that you share is from such a pure loving, abundant space and I love having you in my life. I'm so grateful. I wish you lived closer so we could hang out more in the physical, but I'm just truly grateful for your love and your support and your friendship and for everything that you do in the world.
1: Thank you, you too, Mel. Amazing to see where you've come from that first Conscious Club event. You're a bright shining light on that night, I remember, and it's awesome just to watch your evolution. So thank you.
0: Thank you so much. Wasn't that amazing? And isn't he so awesome, so full of wisdom and knowledge? I could literally sit at his feet and just listen to him for hours and hours on end. And I think I'll definitely have to get him back on to talk all about parenting and dive deeper into that. I got a lot out of this episode. And if you did too, please subscribe and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. Because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. And it also means that you could potentially be the review of the week for next week, which is pretty awesome. And speaking of review of the week, I want to read this week's review. And it's a five-star review from Christina C. And it's titled, The Incredible Podcast Like No Other. And Christina says, Melissa, your podcast is one that I will always click on first if I feel like being inspired, learning something new, or wanting to expand my health journey, there is always something amazing for me here. I always look forward to the morning that your next episode comes out. It puts me in such a happy, productive mindset for the day. Melissa, you are always so positive and kind. I just love your outlook on life, which has inspired me to do the inner work to implement healthier habits into my life. And my goodness, it has made such a difference in my overall well-being. I want to thank you so, so much. I send you and your incredibly knowledgeable husband and your beautiful little girl so much love. Thank you so much for that beautiful review, honey. I am so grateful. And as a little way to say thank you for that review, for taking the time to do that, I want to gift you one of my top four favorite products, and that is the wild olives. So beautiful wild olive oil. All you have to do is email hello at with your address and we will send that over to you right away. Thank you again so much for leaving that review, honey. I'm just beyond grateful. And don't forget to come and follow me on Instagram at melissarambrosini and tell me your top key takeaways from this episode. I absolutely love reading what you get out of each show. And before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best, the healthiest, and the happiest version of yourself, and for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please be an angel and share it with them right now. You can take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them. Do whatever you've got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy
1: isn't a dirty word.